Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look, and I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, a new documentary looks at attempts to criminalize Atlanta's homeless population. Bulldoze the camp flat tore down everybody's thing, everybody lost their tents and their sleeping bags and blankets and all, all your belongings, period. I'll speak with director Coletta Harris about the documentary No Address. Also, tenants in a Brookhaven apartment complex say raw sewage backed up into bathtubs for two weeks, but they continue to pay rent while waiting for repairs. We'll get an update from Sophia Qureshi, founder and editor of 285 South. The weekly newsletter offers stories of immigrant communities in Metro Atlanta, and she broke this story. And also, we'll hear a response from the city of Brookhaven and what they were trying to do. Those conversations coming up. But first this, it is hot. Yes, I know. The National Weather Service is issuing a heat advisory for almost all of North and Central Georgia that actually began today at noon. Now, this heat wave is expected to continue for the rest of the week. As Molly Samuel reports, climate change is driving temperatures higher. Climate change is making heat waves more frequent and more intense. The average summer temperature in Atlanta is almost three degrees higher now than it was 50 years ago, according to the nonprofit Climate Central. Nights are also getting warmer here, and that's dangerous because cooler nights are usually when people's bodies recover from very hot days. The urban heat island effect compounds the effects of warming. The concrete and buildings of cities make them hotter, and neighborhoods without tree cover are typically the hottest. Molly Samuel, WABE News. In other news, Metro Atlanta school districts are distributing free meals to students this summer. But a chunk of federal funding for the program is set to expire at the end of this month, as we hear from Martha Dalton. Every summer, schools, nonprofits, and faith-based organizations distribute free meals to students. They're paid for by the federal government. During the pandemic, Congress issued waivers that made the program more flexible. Lucy Cody is the director of the No Kid Hungry campaign. What we've seen through this is incredible innovations through summer meal programs that allowed grab-and-go meals to be served, that allowed parents to pick up bulk meals, created incredible flexibility with the types of meals that were able to be served and how parents and kids were able to access those meals during the school year. But that could change soon. The waivers will expire June 30th if Congress doesn't renew them. Districts are bracing for that. Meals wouldn't necessarily end, but school systems probably couldn't offer as many. Alicia Wright runs the Fulton County Schools Nutrition Department. She says the district is doing less this year due to the threat of waivers expiring. Last year, we were open in over 50 sites, and all those sites were free and open to the community and the neighboring students within the community for the entire summer. This year, the district has 30 sites, and only students can receive meals. 
If the waivers expire, Wright says, the way Fulton can distribute food would also change. Instead of the parent just coming in and picking up the meal or the student coming in and picking up the meal and taking it home, that meal now, after July 1, will have to be eaten on site. Cody, with No Kid Hungry, says those kinds of restrictions kept some sites from opening at all this year. It's going to lead to hungry kids this summer, and there is no question we are seeing it in real time right now. The waivers made meals free for every student, regardless of income, all year. But if Congress doesn't act, about 10 million U.S. students will have to start paying for meals again in the fall. Martha Dalton, WABE News. Fulton County and Atlanta officials are looking for a couple hundred volunteers to participate in a new crime reduction program. Court Watch is meant to keep pressure on the court system, especially when dealing with repeat offenders. Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens says the program is about emphasizing accountability. With Court Watch, we have the opportunity to engage the public in keeping their community safe. At the end of the day, we all want the same thing, and that's to have safe streets and live in a community that's free from violent crime. Dickens says the goal is to recruit 250 volunteers to be trained court watchers. Then the volunteers will report court proceedings updates back to their respective communities. Finally, there's good and bad news for our Atlanta Braves. Good news. Almost always start with that. Their winning streak continues to 12 games in a row after beating the Washington Nationals 9-5 Monday night. Now for the bad. They lost second baseman Ozzie, Albie, Ozzie Albies for a while after he fractured his left foot after hitting a ground ball. It's not clear if the team will bring up a minor league player in the meantime. We wish Ozzie all the best. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. Support for WABE comes from Capital Good Fund, introducing Georgia Bright Solar Lease Program, a new rooftop solar initiative designed to create pathways to equitable and inclusive solar, sustainability, and monthly savings for Georgians. Learn more at georgiabright.org. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look, and I'm Rose Scott. What I'm about to read is from an online weekly newsletter, 285 South. Quote, 36-year-old Luz Carranza, I said her name right, has been struggling to live in her apartment with her five kids. The two bathtubs in her two-bedroom apartment have been erupting with feces regularly. Her children and her haven't been able to shower, and since the toilets don't flush, she says they either hold it or go to a neighbor's place to use the bathroom, close quote. The headline for the story is raw sewage is erupting out of bathtubs in an apartment complex on Buford Highway, but no one wants to deal with it. And that was published back on June 1st. And there's a lot more to this and hopefully with some updates for those residents. Joining me now with more is Sophia Qureshi, the founder and editor of 285 South. It's an online weekly newsletter that offers stories of immigrant communities in Metro Atlanta. Sophia, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Rose, today. How long have you been um, profiling these stories on 285 South? Um, So I actually launched 285 South back in August 2021 um, with the intention of really creating a space that was dedicated to covering immigrant communities in Metro Atlanta. 
Um, this story in particular that I wrote about, um, I, I, I first wrote about it on June 1st. I had visited the tenants in that apartment complex the day before. Um, and since then, I've been following um, updates and, and trying to just closely watch the situation there. And Sophia, the name of the uh, apartment complex on Buford Highway in Brookhaven is? Um, so the name of the apartment complex is Villas de las Colinas 2. And is this primary an apartment complex that has a high percentage of Spanish-speaking households? Um, so all of the households that I was in touch with were Hispanic families. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know the exact demographic sure. breakdown, but as you know, the um, a lot of the complexes that are along Beaufort Highway mm-hmm. are um, have large Hispanic populations. When you were visiting, what did you see? So I visited um, about a week after the tenants first reported that they had been having sewage eruptions. Um, they said that they had first been seeing the sewage eruptions in their bathtubs on May 22nd. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had been living in the sage situation for at least a week. Um, when I walked in to the apartment of Luz Carranza, she has five children, um, one who's as young as nine months old. The floors, the front room was dry, but the floors in the back towards the bathroom were all wet. The back room was flooded by about two inches, and the the, the flood water was like a, a brownish color, um, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, I walked into both bathrooms, and there was uh, feces in both bathtubs. Um, the smell in the apartment was unbearable. Um, when I walked out of the apartment, I met two other the other families on the ground floor of this building, and they also said they had the same situation. They had feces that had been erupting out of their bathtub um, for, for at least a week. I walked into the apartment of Kaylin, who was a neighboring tenant, and also I saw the same thing there. They had been struggling to clean up the floors on their own. Um, Luce said nobody had ever entered the apartment to help her to clean it or to address any of the issues. So they were just cleaning it with soap and water and Clorox um, as best as they could. I want to back up and be very clear here. You were, you were first notified of this back in May of what, what was that date? So I was um, notified of it. A few days before I visited, um, I, on May 22nd is when they first reported it was happening to a local adv- a local advocacy organization. Gotcha. And that advocacy organization, um, Los Vecinos de Buford Highway, mm-hmm. had been in touch with me. Um, but the date that I went there first was May 31st. And to your knowledge, the residents told you and the advocacy group, and I believe we've had them on the program before too some years ago, mm-hmm. they approach management to your knowledge about this situation? Yes. So um, the tenants actually said, Luce and Kaylin both had said that they had reached out to their local um, property management, the leasing office, multiple times. And they said they either um, got no answer or they said, like, we're sorry. Um, But they also said that nobody from the property management company, um, Lou said nobody has had walked into her unit and actually looked at what was happening. Um, so they had been complaining and felt not, you know, issuing complaints and felt that nobody was listening to them. Um, when I arrived there that first time, mm-hmm. they had actually called, Luce had called the police because she didn't know what to do um, and she didn't know where to turn. Um, and after, after maybe a half an hour of me being there, the firefighters showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And uh, the, the advocacy group, um, they had called the DeKalb County non-emergency line to also report what was happening. And they then sent the firefighters um, and the firefighters arrived and they were like, you know, we can't fix this. This is mm-hmm. a plumbing issue. Sophia, did you make attempts to speak with management of the apartment complex? I did, Rose. Um, I called them. Um, I called the local office and they said they couldn't comment and they suggested that I call the headquarters. I did call and email the headquarters um, of the property management company and they did not respond either. Hmm. When did you contact or did you contact the city of Brookhaven or do you know if, and the reason I'm asking this is because I do have some timeline, an order of timeline here from the city of Brookhaven. But before I reveal that, I want to hear what you did. Did you contact the city of Brookhaven? I did. I call. I contacted the city of Brookhaven's code enforcement office. Um, the tenants had told me that they had come out there on multiple occasions, um, and uh, the city uh, code enforcement office sent me a, a detailed timeline of the times that they had been in touch with the property management and tenants and the times that they had showed up. Um, so the last report that I got is that on June 6th, they said that the plumbing issues were resolved in the units. Mm. Um, I actually just heard from Luce yesterday. Um, she also sent me a photo. Her toilets are overflowing again. Um, I saw a photo of the wet floors. Um, so it, it clearly looks like the whatever the deeper plumbing issues there were, they were not resolved. Um, I also heard from sources that a neighboring apartment building has also been having plumbing issues. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Spoke with a city of Brookhaven official, uh, Burke Brennan, who also sent over a timeline, which does match what you said. And it appears, and I know you correct me if you haven't heard this too, that the issue is that, as always, it's a lot of policy issues and a lot of red tape and a lot of... Mm-hmm. If it's on private property, the city can only do so much and that this really is a board of health problem. But at the end Mm -hmm. of the day, too, you're out there with people who are walking around with raw sewage in their living room, in their bathrooms. Yeah. I mean, what appeared to me was like everyone seemed to be passing the buck. And like my headline said, it felt like nobody wanted to deal with it. And in the meantime, there are literally babies, young families living in these situations. And right now, the priority is for them. They want to just move out as soon as possible. So um, originally, so two of the families actually have moved out. Um, mm-hmm. There were a total of four units impacted. Um, two of them have moved out. But for loose, you know, She's looking for housing, affordable housing, and as you know, a really, really tough market um, mm-hmm. in Metro Atlanta. And not only are there like no vacancies available, you need a lot of money to be able to secure an apartment. So, um, so they're in this situation where they are living through this every day and trying to get out, but there aren't a lot of options out there. So, you know. The city of Brookhaven, through a spokesperson, says the city has been out on several occasions between May 23rd and present. In each instance, management was taking steps to correct the problem. But based on what you said, there's something not happening. So that's all we can say, because you obviously have been speaking with residents. 
The city followed up with the apartment manager on the cause. They reported the backups were caused by bottles and debris in the sewer cleanout trap. According to the city of Brookhaven, the problem was fixed and the affected units have been cleaned. It is our understanding that some of the units still need to have floor coverings replaced. But yeah. the problem is, is the problem fixed and now it's just the cleanup process or is the problem not fixed in terms of the backed up sewage? Because Luce just, just told you yesterday she still has raw sewage coming in. Yeah, so I would say, you know, it appears that the problem, maybe the, it temporarily was fixed, but it appears to be the problem is coming. There's a sewage issue again. Um, and yeah, like she said, the, the toilets were overflowing again. And um, a, another source said that a neighboring apartment building was having sewage issues. I think um, what's important to know here is that uh, the property company does not want people poking their noses into what's happening. Um, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, a source just told me this morning that a journalist was there at the apartment complex on Friday. Um, and they went inside and spoke with the family in an apartment unit. As soon as they came outside, after two minutes, the police showed up and um, asked them to remove be, to, to leave the site because it was pri private property. Um, so I think, um, you know, this this whole situation is something that the company is not <laughs> welcoming the attention on it because they are they're trying they're trying to fix maybe or deal with it on their own. And Sophia, the headquarters is out of state. The company management program, the uh, the, yeah. the company management. The company management company uh, appears to be in Georgia, um, but they do have properties all over the South and um, in Tennessee, for example, in Florida. I looked at the DeKalb County tax records and the actual property owner is listed as a company separate than the property management company. It's listed as a company in Texas. Um, so I've been trying to reach them as well and I haven't heard back. Um, and it wasn't, it's kind of, it's not a straightforward process to even identify who the, this remote property owner might be. Um, how do the, how do most of the residents pay their rent? Is it that they drop off money orders? Is the online portal? I'm just curious about uh, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about that, but I do know that they have been continuing to pay the rent despite mm -hmm. the, the conditions that they're living in. Um, the three Families that I spoke to also they paid over fifteen hundred dollars a month in rent and they had been continuing to pay it through this situation. Also, according to City of Brookhaven, the apartment complex was not cited as code enforcement observed that the issue was being addressed. If the issue had not been remedied, the city could cite the complex for an ordinance violation and refer the issue to the DeKalb Board of Health. I think we're all aware of the sewer is it sewer issues in DeKalb County. Do you know what the next step is for residents? Are they going to try and and mobilize and, and maybe even take this further? Yeah, um, so I know that Luce has a lawyer that she's working with to file a case. Um, several of the families that Los Vecinos is working with also have lawyers. So the legal process is um, obviously long and messy and that might take time. But um, other than that, their immediate priority is just finding new uh, apartments to live in. And there are pictures that you all have on your online weekly news at 285 South. The conditions there, obviously, 
Sophia, you report on these communities a lot. You're in these communities a lot. If this was a, and this is through your own lens. Some folks Mm -hmm. don't like when I say through your own lens, but oh well. (laughs) If this was not a community primarily made up of immigrants or Spanish-speaking people, do you think this would be, we would be where we are still with this issue? I mean, I think that the issue of bad conditions in low-income housing is disproportionately impacting people of color. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we can make our own conclusions about why that's happening, but um, it is disproportionately impacting um, Black and Hispanic communities. Um, You know, I think when you are, I've been reporting on these communities a lot, as you said, and Mm -hmm. I think when you don't speak the language, when you might not know kind of how the city infrastructure and regulation and accountability works, when you might not know how to file a complaint, when you might be undocumented um, and fearful of doing anything in through legal channels or official channels, it just um, increases the likelihood that you will be vulnerable in situations where you are wronged. Um, so. Yeah, I think that like there's a lot of vulnerabilities that come with being somebody who is new to this country, who might not know the language, who might not have papers. Um, and it just it just gets exacerbated in situations like this. Sophia, what is the name of the management company for this apartment complex? It's um, Strategic Management Partners. Hmm. We should not also... According to the city of Brookhaven, this was June 6th, code enforcement officers visited each affected unit, spoke with tenants, ran water, observed repairs and cleanup. All units have had plumbing issue resolved, apartments clean. One has new floor and others are awaiting delivery. That is exactly from the city of Brookhaven for June 6th. But as you just told us, that is not the case. Yeah, I actually followed up with the city um, uh, code enforcement office. They haven't responded yet. I wanted to see like an update uh, if they had an update on any work that they've done. I haven't heard back yet. Um, I know that Luce has said that nobody has ever entered her apartment to clean the floors. Um, So that is also in contrary to what their timeline says. Uh, She's been cleaning the floors on her own. Um, If you go into her apartment, you'll see that She's taken up, taken a lot of her belongings. She's put them in plastic, big black plastic bags to keep them protected. Um, a lot of the wood, she says, is like rotting um, because of the water damage. She even had planks um, that she had put up under a bed so that like the bed wasn't touching the wet floor. I mean, she's been managing all of this on her own. Um, and uh, she hasn't been able to go to work. She works in construction, but she's been so busy trying to like manage her situation at home that she's been missing the money that she could have been making um, if she'd been able to go to work. Um, So I just really feel like, you know, she's in a really difficult situation. Even finding a a new apartment is a challenge. Um, And what she's going through is really, I think, emblematic of larger um, systemic issues Mm -hmm. in Georgia around affordable housing. Um, and, and loose, very loose, landlord-friendly um, Georgia laws. Is there a city or Brookhaven council member? I'm sure that falls into someone's district. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I would encourage people to contact um, Brookhaven's mayor if they wanted to issue a complaint or ask questions about this situation to help um, to just get some answers and know that people are watching. And that would be uh, Mayor John Ernst. Sophia Qureshi, founder and editor of 285 South. That's why the power of a press is so important. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for making the time to talk to me and for um, just giving, amplifying this important issue. Thank you. Thank you, Rip. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. It was a global announcement that catapulted Atlanta into becoming an international city. The International Olympic Committee has awarded the 1996 Olympic Games to the city of Atlanta. That was on September 18, 1990. Now, when talking about the growth and development of Atlanta, often we talk about pre and post the 1996 Olympics is often a measuring stick of progress and systemic challenges. Since 1996, we do know this and even before, there have been various initiatives, including public-private partnerships, federal, state, local approaches to providing resources for Atlanta's unsheltered and chronic homeless population. And throughout the various administrations, there have been calls to there have been calls to make sure there's no criminalizing those who are homeless. And a new documentary called No Address explores all of this. The next morning, about 8 a.m., we showed up and told everybody they had to get out. And they bulldozed, they like literally bulldozed the camp flat, tore down everybody's thing. Everybody lost their tents and their sleeping bags and blankets and all, all your belongings, period. Like, uh, you had, like, 10 seconds to grab what you could grab and run off. And, you know, they just, they, they destroyed everything and told us to get, and then they told us if they saw us in the area that we would be arrested. And what didn't make sense to me is because we've been there for well over a year, out of sight, not causing any problems, yeah, not hurting anybody. And if they want everybody, if they don't want tourists to see us, why are you going to come move us out of where we're hidden? and put us out in the wide open. Now we got no choice but to be where the tourists can see us. Yeah. We were hidden where nobody knew who we were. Well, I mean, the police knew who we were, but they didn't mess with us because we weren't doing nothing wrong. All we were yeah. doing was living. Yeah. But now they, they want us out and they got us out now because it's an empty lot now. Mm. Join me now with more is the director of No Address, Coletta Harris. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Rose, for having me. I appreciate this opportunity. How long was this documentary in the making? For Atlanta or the entire series? Well, I know, yeah, there's a series, but for Atlanta. For Atlanta, four years. Wow. You mentioned a series because this is, this is the second installment of No Address. And last time you were in Columbia, South Carolina, before we take a deeper dive into Atlanta, let's talk a little bit more about what you saw there and if there are some parallels between Columbia and Atlanta. Yes, so in 2013 is when I started this journey for No Address Columbia. And I was in my downtown office and I was 
reading in the paper that Columbia City Council wanted to do something with their unsheltered population and one of them, one of the, uh, it was like three things, but one of them was to send them to jail. And I would communicate with the unsheltered all the time because, you know, they congregate mostly in the downtown area. And I'm an empath, so I was like, what if that were me and I had to just leave this city and this is my home, where would I go? Mm -hmm. So I already have a video production company, so I said, let me just start documenting what's around me. And it just evolved into this series. And then I was curious to see what else was going on in other cities. So that's where it became a two-part series. So the criminalization, they were basically rounding people up and putting them in something like a FEMA camp. Mm -hmm. You know, this big warehouse on the outskirts of town. So you had three options. It was either you go somewhere else, like your family or something like that. You go to this FEMA camp or you're subject to jail if you're seen on the streets. So um, that's kind of where this started. And I wanted to see what other cities were doing. You said if they were seen on the street, street, not necessarily just living or they, and some folks use the term camping out or urban camping, but if they just appear to be without shelter, appear to be homeless, that was against the law so you either had to go to some designated area or you would be actually arrested i'm going to be very clear for our listeners here yes so it's more of if you violated these ordinances that they resurrected they've always been on the books but they resurrected it because (laughs) they wanted to do something about it and this is what their solution was so if you were urban camping panhandling sitting or lying down on benches they started removing the benches they were just making it really hard for people to be able to be on the streets so if you were caught they would stereotype you you know the look the backpacks things like that Mm -hmm. then they would send you off to jail. Why Atlanta? Why was Atlanta the next installment here? It was the next installment because I actually moved to Atlanta (laughs) at that point. I started documenting it before I moved there. And I feel like that's the reason why I moved there to complete this because I've moved back to South Carolina since, (laughs) back to Columbia. But um, yeah, it, it was just on a whole nother scale when I came to Atlanta and to learn about the closing of the biggest shelter in the Southeast, you, you actually see it. Now. You were talking about Peachtree and Pine shelter. Correct. I know I did a series on it myself. So definitely been in there and yes, I uh, spent about six, seven hours in there. You use yeah. a couple of major events to, to frame the timeline of the city's present day handling of unsheltered people. And that clip we played coming into this segment was around the 2019 Super Bowl. Take our listeners through what was happening or what you found to be what was happening with the unsheltered population in that area of town. During the Super Bowl? Yes. Yes. So they were basically masking it and saying that they weren't rounding people up. Now they being who? They being the city. Okay. The city, Central Atlanta Progress, they were saying that they that they wanted to do better than they did for the Olympics. So they claimed that George Cheedy, if I had to put the name to it, um, George Cheedy went to the representatives and other organizations to say, we don't have to do this for the Super Bowl because we we can find the people. We want to give them the, the need. The needs that they, their needs can be met, all of this stuff. But at the end of the day, people were still being arrested. And you heard in the clip that these were their orders. 
So to sell it that it was more of, I'm trying to get my thoughts because there's so sure. much in my brain for this documentary. I understand. It's still like down to the wire of it. But um, he just presented that they can they can implement this process better without having to lock people up. But at the end of the day, they were being locked up. And then now you see the bridges, they have the boulders, they have um, the barricades, all of that. That was all a part of sweeping and clearing the streets as the Super Bowl came to town. And we should note there were other media outlets that also reported concerns about how Atlanta's unsheltered population was being treated. There were allegations, I believe we even talked about it here on Closer Look, there were allegations that some folks were, were being bussed to another county. It was, it was a lot going on. But you The same thing that happened during the Olympics, exact same well, thing. Let's Just get to different that. Days, different times. Let's get to that. Um, in order to pinpoint that part for Atlanta, did you talk to any city officials or former city officials, former mayors, were you able to get anyone to go on the record with you for this documentary? Yes, uh, Felicia Moore. She was the um, she, former president of the city council, city council mm-hmm. and she also ran for mayor. So she was a huge advocate for the homeless, and she actually went out and did outreach. So that really opened her eyes to see what is really going on behind the scenes. And she was the one that actually fought to keep Peachtree and Pine open. But they voted unanimously. Well, not unanimously, but they um, voted her out on that. So. Well, 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 I want to back up now. When you say they voted her out, because. Well, not really voted her yeah. out, but her um, her vote really didn't count. The majority won. So I want to say she was basically the only one that wanted to keep Peachtree and Pine open. She said we we shouldn't close the shelter. If you don't like the way the shelter run, get rid of the people that are running it, but do not close the shelter because there's a need. And then you do not have a backup plan on how we, how are you going to place these 800 people that are displaced now. And I remember in covering that story myself as well, that the operator then was Anita Beatty and, and the, I think the Homeless Task Force. And we should note there were some other city council members who had publicly pledged to keep it open, but they didn't when it came time to vote. So I want to be fair about that. Um, yes, yes. And it, it was like a 10-year litigation as well. Well, so. and I believe the property was then sold to Emory University or Emory Hospital, something like that. So Yes, yes. I've been around for a long time, Colette. I'm getting old here. I, I want to <laughs> play a clip from the documentary featuring a real estate agent, because I think this is important, too, when we talk about all this. This is real estate agent. Is it Robbie Caban? Mm-hmm. We funded um, a billionaire's dream, a stadium who, who owns yachts and who's now been in the paper for being the top, you know, wealthy in sports industry, Arthur Blank. Look at the condition of Vine City. You know, we did that. We, we are funding billionaires. We are funding wealthy developers. We are funding LLCs to flip. We are funding wholesalers. We are subsidizing them via the paying for affordable housing that is a minuscule when our crime goes up and our housing crisis you know becomes exacerbated to a homeless crisis so me you these the regular people are funding this why was it important for you to include robbie's perspective in this documentary coletta because there is a homeless not a homeless a housing crisis sure 
right now and there is not a lot of inventory and she when when we have the panel discussion she's going to really break it down the panel discussion is basically talking about the extension of what's been going on since the documentary's been done because i can keep going 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 but i have, have you to been over to, at some point <laughs> let me ask you this have you been over to the vine city english avenue neighborhoods in, in, oh absolutely yeah. absolutely pittsburgh oh absolutely you don't, you, so, you, you, don't, you you but they've changed now have you when was the last time you was over there last year so it's changed as in gentrified i just said changed okay you yeah well southwest atlanta is one of the last ones to be gentrified so they're moving in there as well so i mean atlanta is not going to look like old atlanta anymore it's oh we've, be we've, yeah, we've come to that conclusion yeah we've come to that conclusion yeah when we talk about and this is something that we've been covering for a long time not just this outlet but so many and depending on whom you ask you will get a lot of different answers in terms of the wise investors economic development, um, housing demand. Um, you get a lot of those. With this documentary, what are you hoping people, what do you, what do you hope their understanding is with this series, No Address? Well, with the first one, was to bring awareness, to break down the stereotypes of what you think unsheltered looks like mm -hmm. and and who these people are get to know who these people are and then the third is to create change with this documentary i'm going deeper it's more of the system mm -hmm. we're hitting the system and showing how it's systematic and how this is big business big business in terms of homelessness is big business take, period take that when further it comes to housing when it comes to housing and when it comes to the people that are in place that are managing these resources so I want to be clear because I want you to have time. I want you to be very clear for our listeners. When you say it's big yes. business, you mean that are you alleging that some organizations who are in the business of helping folks are maybe not doing that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And your last guest, when she was talking about affordable housing, mm -hmm. that is big business and dealing with these slumlords. When you're dealing with the voucher system and you're giving vouchers to the unsheltered from the waiting list that has been people been waiting for years just to get a home. You get these slumlords that will accept these vouchers and at above market rate. So they're they're getting their pay, but they don't really keep up these homes for the people, the apartment complexes, whatever. So it's in dire, it's dilap dilapidated in dire straits, but they're still getting paid. And then you put the vouchers onto the unsheltered population and say, hey, go find you a place. You have a limited time to find a place. Mm -hmm. If you can't find a place, you have to turn in those vouchers. But then you blame the unsheltered that they didn't find anything. But there's nothing that's out there that, I mean, you don't want to live in the slum. You wouldn't want to do that, so you turn your vouchers back in. But then at the same time, you have the big businesses, these corporations that are making hundreds of thousand dollars off the people that are suffering. Did you get any interviews with, was anyone willing to go on camera with you? Absolutely. Um, Donna Whitehead from the National Coalition from the Homeless in D.C., he has mentioned that. These are all their words. These aren't my words. It's sure. not my opinion. This is coming from the people at the top that deal with this every single day for decades. And it has not changed. In terms of the criminalization here in the Atlanta area, what did you 
uncover in terms of Atlanta's ordinances that stood out to you or that you thought were in line with Columbia? They're all the same. I feel like in 2013, everybody, all these mayors and politicians, I don't know if they were had a big meeting or something going on, but I was, I was doing my research. It seemed like that was like the culprit. 2013, everybody started reinforcing these ordinances. And so, yes. This is 2022 now. When was the last time that you researched or looked into what Atlanta actually had on the book in terms of for those who are camping out or experiencing homelessness, what exactly is on Atlanta's books in terms of what's legal? What's legal or what's illegal? Oh, what's illegal. It's better. What's illegal, yeah. Mm -hmm. So so what's illegal is urban camping, sleeping in your car, Mm -hmm. um, having a tent. And we were really pushing having tents during COVID because people could distance themselves Mm -hmm. and be sheltered versus being a congregate shelter where you're on top of each other and breathing in other people's germs Mm -hmm. and bacteria. So they are starting to sweep. They only, I think they did that for like six months, you know, for COVID. And then they ramped back up sweeping. And I mean, sweeps has has really ramped up in in Atlanta. And so panhandling will get you citations. one of my colleagues knows a guy that has been arrested, like, don't quote me, I want to say something over a hundred times. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, what's the point? You know, you go out and then you do the same thing, and then, but there's no solutions, you know? So then, um, but they're the same ordinances. All the cities have the same ordinances and that they are just ramping up. So it's the main ones are the urban camping and the sleeping in the tents and the panhandling. And now I know you've seen under the bridges that where they have boulders now mm-hmm. where the tents were. So they're just making it um, very hard for people. But But at the same time, they're going to have to go somewhere. So then they move around, then you destroy that camp, then they move somewhere else, and there's just no solution. Are you going to go back and do updates because it is a new administration um, here in Atlanta with uh, Mayor Andre Dickens? Are you going to go back and see? Because there's been a I lot of announcements to. made since he's come into office. Right. Former former, hope- former Mayor Atlanta Shirley Franklin. Because I want to be fair here, Coletta. Former Mayor Atlanta Shirley Franklin and among a lot of other public and private partner partners really did get the ball rolling on this. Now, again, in between Mayor Franklin and Mayor Dickens, there's a whole lot of stuff in between there. So each administration is different. But mm-hmm. to be fair, um, so what's next for you in trying to maybe go back and see what's, what has changed or hasn't changed? Because you've done a what appears to be a bigger job of documenting what the problem is in terms of when you started this series when when do you think or do you want to go back and maybe do an update yes i'm I'm considering going back and do an update and i want to work with these officials i would love to have them at the screening on june 22nd at the plaza theater at 7 p.m because i am addressing solutions as well yes mm-hmm. we can talk about the issues all day long and it's the same that's why i was going to do a three-part series but i turned it into a two because everywhere i go it's the same situation different phase so i'm focused on the solutions i started a nonprofit no address foundation mm-hmm. where we want to obtain land to house 
those that are in need and build sustainable communities because a lot of our unsheltered population has so many skills, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so many carpentry skills where we can build our own communities. The models have been done. And I had this idea a long time ago before these models have been done. Now we have models and we can replicate that. So if we can get to our administration to say, let's build real affordable housing and not affordable housing by the status quo, where you say you have 10% in there and then now you can consider it affordable housing. No, alternative housing, the tiny homes, the shipping container homes, the boxable homes, manufacturing. Oh, yeah. People love the people love the tiny homes and the shipping containers. If if Winona Satcher is listening, she's all about the shipping containers. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, And another guy that's on the panel, Anthony Pope, he has him and his colleagues have built the um Container Village, it's called I Village mm-hmm. at the MARTA station where it's startup businesses and it's beautiful. So you can put those up in weeks versus months. So he's my go to when we get this land, <laughs> their company is going to be building and you build up. You know, so it, it's so many real uh, solutions out there, practical solutions that has been done that we need to start implementing around us. You had no idea it was going to take you this deep, this this far when you started this, did you? No, not at all. Now it's like my life's mission. Now. Sometimes, it, sometimes it, as they say, sometimes it be like that. What's It'd the next? Like city? Look, you got a lot of cities that you can you can cover. What's the next right. city for you? There's no next city right now unless, you know, someone wants to commission me to do that. But I'm really, really focused on the solutions right mm-hmm. now because I can talk about the issues all day and it's just getting worse since these moratoriums have been lifted it's getting worse it's getting worse so now let's go to the people that have done it and let's consult and get this ball rolling what has this personally meant for you though in doing this documentary and starting this series even if it was just with two cities hmm it me it personally means that we can really change this, you know, being a documentarian, because that's not what I did. You know, I was in marketing videos. I'm, you know, I just kind of make businesses look great. You're all about, you're all about product placement. Is that what you're saying? You know, right. That, that was my business. But now it's like, I'm a truth seeker. I'm all about the truth. I'm all about loving people. I'm an earthy person. You know, I'm all about nature and all that good stuff. So knowing that, when people have created documentaries that they have actually created change, I want to be a part of that. So it really has pushed me to keep doing this because my brothers and sisters are suffering right now mm-hmm. and they shouldn't. And it's systematic. And that's why I said big business, just like corporations and how they do things and, and the middle class and everybody that has their, it's a whole nother business for the unsheltered population as well. Let me ask you this. Do you think that this documentary has accomplished something that maybe previous coverages, I mean, I feel like there have been a lot of people out here have been trying to cover this. Uh, right. But through your through your lens, you think that maybe you uncovered something that probably wasn't or hasn't been? Well, I can say, you know, through the feedback, a lot of people had no idea what was going on in their backyards. Here in so, Atlanta? Wait, well, here in, these well, people, in Columbia. Oh, okay, Columbia. Columbia. I'm like, because I know anybody in Atlanta talking about they don't know about they not telling the truth or they 
Uh, well, no, no, no. Oh, oh, you will still learn a whole lot in Atlanta. You may see it, but you yeah. don't know the inner workings of it and how this became about, you oh, know. Folks know they just don't oh, want to like, admit to it. <laughs> well, I'm going to expose it. How about that? <laughs> I'll be the one to tell you how, how it really works. Let's talk about this. So, um, let's talk about you have a uh, premiere that's going to be taking place soon here or a screening rather. Yes. Here in Atlanta? Yep, premiere screening um, right. in Atlanta. It'll be next Wednesday, June 22nd. And it's at the at Plaza Theater. And you, so you're going to come to Atlanta for that, right? You're not going to not gonna pipe you in via Zoom, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Why'd you move from Atlanta? Why, why'd you move? I'm getting in your business now. Well, um, COVID happened. Gotcha. And then... That's okay. That's all we need to know. Family kind of wanted me to come back. Mm -hmm. You know, family kind of wanted me to come back. And I get it. You know, I'm new to the city. And you, then. So you came in our city trying to expose. You came in our city trying to expose something. You left. <laughs> no, it, that, that was not the intent, though. And it was like inner workings. I know. I Let got me get you. in the movie side. Let me do all of this because the movie industry's here. Blah, blah, blah. You know. And then you took a, a year break. And you couldn't even communicate with anybody. No, so I got it was you. like. What I got you, Coletta. No, I but you. I have some. I got a piece of property. I'm going to be a country girl. I'm a farmer, so I believe in agriculture. That's why I'm really about the sustainability of these communities because we can create our own jobs. We can, we can be self-sustaining. What you farming over there in, in Columbia, South Carolina? What you over there farming? Oh, child, I got some beans going on. I'm a herbalist, so I love herbs. I got my basil, rosemary, sage, um, cucumbers, peppers. You know all the the main things that we grow. <laughs> <laughs> Coletta Harris. <laughs> Coletta Harris is the director of No Address Atlanta, a documentary on the ongoing attempts to criminalize homelessness in the city. The film is also premiering at Plaza Theater on June 22nd, as you just heard, with a panel discussion to follow. Thank you so much for taking time. I really appreciate it. Best of luck to you. Come on back, cover our city, and you know, leave again, right? No, no, no. People do it all the time. Long, okay. long as you're fair. That's what, we, that's what we ask. Yeah, hey, I appreciate yeah, it. We keep it fair. Thank you, Rose. All I right. appreciate you. Take care now. All right. Bye. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are Janine Etter, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Razel, who's also our engineer for today. Our other engineer is Kevin Rinker. Our intern for the summer is Lennox Johnson. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, as y'all just did in the last four minutes. Rose at WABE.org. Again, that's Rose at WABE.org. And if you missed any of today's show, it's always online at WABE.org slash Closer Look. And of course, listen to Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. And make sure you register WABE.org slash events for this Friday's Closer Look live in front of a studio audience in audience at uh, the Atlanta History Center. They let us out of the studio. How about that? Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott.
ever wondered where to find the best dumplings in town? Curious about Atlanta's obsession with lemon pepper? Join us on Savory Stories, a new podcast as we uncover the untold tales behind Atlanta's culinary scene. From the roots of your favorite dishes to the creators that bring them to life, we're diving deep into the heart of the city's food culture. Listen to Savory Stories at wabe.org slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E. The world has changed from shifts in power to a mental health crisis. So with all this social change, how do we balance the human desire for empathy, the business need for productivity, and the hope to make an impact in our community? This is a new podcast, The Social Impact Leader. I'm Jeff Schinnebarker. Join me as we explore people doing work a little different. Available every Wednesday at wabe.org forward slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. W-A-B-E.